For our scripture reading this morning, we turn to the third chapter of the New Testament, which is Matthew 3. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, And his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, Meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the sacred, infallible Scripture. May God bless it to our hearts. The text for the sermon is that last verse, 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, not by beholding all of the fathers of this world 
and not by beholding the fathers in the church, and not by beholding Abraham, who is the father of all who believe, and not by beholding Adam, who is the first father of us all, but by beholding our Father in heaven do we learn fatherhood. What really is fatherhood and the essence of fatherhood? God reveals himself to us in the scriptures and now especially in the text we consider this morning what really is the essence of true fatherhood. And we learn that from these words. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The text takes us to the Jordan River where John was baptizing Jesus and the heavens opened up. Not simply the heavens though, the very heart of God opened up and he spoke revealing his love for his son. This is my beloved son. This is one of those moments where you have to stop and pause and reflect and try to imagine what that must have been like. You imagine standing outside by a river and all of a sudden you hear the very voice of God. What does that sound like? Well, later God would speak from heaven in John chapter 12, verse 28, and some people who heard it said it thundered. Others said it sounded like an angel. It's hard to imagine what that must have been like. We don't know. But we do know exactly what the Father said. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased And in that speaking and in those words, we have this morning the essence of true fatherhood. There are many doctrines, there are many truths in this context, uh, not the least of which is the great doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father speaking from heaven, God the Son incarnate coming up out of the river, God the Spirit descending in the form of a dove. But we're interested this morning only in that 17th verse and the words uh, of the Father from heaven. And so we will learn about the Father's love for His Son, and then we will learn about the Father's love for all His sons and daughters in Christ. And then as parents this morning, and in connection with baptism this morning, we will learn of the perfect pattern for fatherhood and how we ought to relate to our sons and our daughters The pattern, but then also the power in Christ. Fatherhood. So let's consider Matthew 3, verse 17 this morning. We'll take as our theme, this is my beloved son. Let's look first at father to son. Second, father to sons. And third, fathers to sons. The father spoke these words to the son, when he, Jesus, was at the Jordan River. Jesus, of course, spent most of his days in Nazareth of Galilee, and we're told that when he was about 30 years old, he left his hometown and he went to the Jordan. And verse 13 tells us then to be baptized by John, and he'd be baptized. 
After his baptism, we go into chapter 4, and we learn how he would go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and then he would begin his public ministry of three-plus years, finally setting his face toward Jerusalem where he would be slain. Here, we're at the Jordan River, and John is baptizing Jesus. Obviously, John is very reluctant to do this because he's a sinner, And now he's going to administer baptism to the sinless mediator, the Son of God. But Jesus says, no, John, you must, for this is the way of righteousness for me. And so John baptizes Jesus. And verse 16, the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. And then we come to the text in the words of the Father from heaven. And lo, this is surprising. This is worth giving your attention to, and lo, a voice from heaven. How often do you hear a voice from heaven? And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That was not the first time that Jesus heard these words. Because remember, basic Christian theology Jesus, the man coming up out of the Jordan, he's the eternal Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity, eternally begotten of the Father. And in the inner Trinitarian life of the Godhead, where the Son dwells in the bosom of the Father from all eternity, the Father always speaks through the Spirit to the Son, Thou art my beloved Son, But now this is the first time, at least the first recorded time, that Jesus the Son incarnate, a man on this earth, hears these words from God, his Father in heaven. He'll hear them later too, toward the end of his ministry, before he goes to the cross, when he goes up the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father will say the same words, here At the Jordan River, just prior to Jesus' ministry, the Father reveals Himself in speaking the words of the text. And in these words, we have the revelation of the essence of fatherhood. And it's love. Love for the Son. Love in fatherhood is not incidental. And it's not just another part of fatherhood so that you can take some of the parts, maybe love, you can take it away and still have fatherhood. This is essential to fatherhood, love. Without love, without love, do you really have fatherhood? Love. And the father makes that plain when he does not simply say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And that implies love, but he explicitly states, this is my beloved Son. The Son is beloved to the Father. The Father has an eternal, unchangeable, infinite, boundless love. The Father has always loved the Son eternally in the life of the Trinity. And the Father, God the Father, loves Jesus the man, His Son, who is full of grace and truth. And He expresses that love as Jesus now comes baptized out of the Jordan River Beloved Son. And now in this voice of the Father from heaven, we have some of the outstanding, let's name four of them, outstanding elements 
of a father's love for his son. One. In love, the father publicly identifies the son as his son. In the parallel passages of Mark and Luke, we read, Thou art my beloved son. In this passage, we read, This is my beloved son. According to Matthew, Mark, and Luke on the Mount of Transfiguration, the father said, This is my beloved son. Thou art points at Jesus. With the speaker looking at Jesus, Thou art my beloved son. This is points at Jesus. But now the speaker is looking anywhere and maybe at the audience all around. This is my beloved son. That's identifying language. Who is the son? Who is beloved? Who is pleasing to the father? Satan? No. Herod? No. Caesar? No. But go all the way back into the Old Testament. Who is the beloved Son, well-pleasing to the Father? Is it Adam, the first father of us all? Is it, his, is it Moses, the one who communed with God on the top of the mountain? Is it David, specially chosen as the shepherd boy and the one to be king of man after God's own heart? Is it the Baptist himself? About him, Jesus said, there's no greater prophet born of women. Who? Who is the Son, beloved of the Father, and well-pleasing? And now God the Father publicly, unashamedly, emphatically, He identifies Jesus coming out of the Jordan as His Son. This is my beloved Son. Or directly to Jesus, Thou art my beloved Son. That's the testimony of heaven, that identification. And it rings out of the heavens, and really it rings in every direction. It rings back through the whole old dispensation where the serpent was trying to destroy the seed of the woman in hatred for that seed. It rings over Herod, who will try to kill the baby Jesus. It rings over the chief priests and the Pharisees, who will begin plotting against him. It will ring over the cross, where Pilate and the Gentiles together will take counsel against God's anointed. It rings through the whole new dispensation where out of the earth will come the voices of the false church and the wicked world. This is Jesus of Nazareth whom we hate and whom we seek to destroy. All this hatred for Jesus, identifying Jesus as one who must be put out. And out of the heavens now rings this testimony of God the Father. This is my beloved Son. And what an amazing thing for the man Jesus to hear. Thou art my beloved Son. Secondly, in love, the Father delights in the Son. That's the teaching of the text in the second half of what the Father says. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
Most in Israel hate him. They do not delight in him. They will try to kill him. The father delights in the son. And how timely is this declaration of the father's delight? Because Jesus is walking up the banks of the Jordan. He has just been baptized. This is his installation. This is his ordination into the office of mediator. He will now begin, verse 15, to fulfill all righteousness. For God the Father has this eternal purpose, this plan, to take the whole of the cosmos with elect humanity at its center and to lift all things up and remake all things into a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will prevail forever. A kingdom of eternal righteousness. And God will accomplish that through His Son. We read in Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20, For it pleased the Father. That's the language of the text. For it pleased the Father that in Him, Jesus, should all the fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And now at His baptism, Jesus is revealing that he is sincerely willing and ready now to go forth in his public ministry to fulfill all righteousness in the accomplishment of the eternal purpose of the Father. It's right here at this moment that the Father of all love speaks in whom I am well pleased. He delights in his Son But don't misunderstand, the text does not say that the Father delights in the works of the Son. Well, of course. The Father delights in all of the astounding, redemptive works of His Son. But the text doesn't say, this is my beloved Son in whose works I am well pleased. This is covenantal. This is a relationship. This is personal. This is true love. The Father delights in Jesus, the person His son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So if you ask God the Father, what delights thee? He says, he does. Jesus, my son. And what an amazing thing for the son to hear that the father delights in him. Third, in love the father speaks to the son. That's the teaching of the text when we read, and lo, a voice from heaven saying. Fatherly love for the Son is more than a love in the heart. Of course, true love is rooted in the heart. And a father's love for his son is more than being present. That's a wonderful thing. There's a very significant event for Jesus, his baptism, his installation into office. And if we may put it this way, Father wasn't absent. He wasn't gone in a very powerful way. Father was present at this significant event for his son. But love isn't simply what's in the heart or being present. Love always comes to expression in words so that the father says. But the father doesn't simply say to others, he is my beloved son. The father has words And he speaks directly to his son and says, Thou art my beloved son. And do you know that son is omniscient? 
As the second person of the Trinity, he knows everything. And he knows the Father's love. But the Father doesn't say, well, I do not have to tell him I love him because he knows. Love speaks. Thou art my beloved Son. And then fourth and finally, the love of the Father prepares the Son. And that's the teaching of the text if we peer into the very next chapter, the very first word, chapter 4, verse 1, then, which connects back to our text. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. This was now time for the great battle of all the ages. You know Old Testament history. Old Testament history is the seed of the serpent waging warfare against the seed of the woman, the devil. And now Jesus will go into the wilderness and will personally wage war with that one creature who has more hatred for him than all other creatures in the universe, that most lawless and despicable rebel who is the serpent, the devil. And Jesus must now go contend with the devil and all of his temptations. And thereafter, the three years of his public ministry and all of the suffering he will endure, climaxing in the agony of the accursed death of the cross. This was a plan of suffering that not some creature, but God the Father laid out for the Son. And what could possibly prepare him? Prepare him to do what is utterly impossible for any man ever to do. What could prepare the man Jesus for this work so that he doesn't draw back when he gets to Passion Week? He doesn't draw back when he gets into the dark garden of Gethsemane, when he's finally nailed to the cross, when the darkness descends. What will prepare him to endure, to go all the way to the end? The knowledge of his Father's love. This one statement in his ears and in his heart. Now, and a couple years later, right before the darkness, when Father takes him on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, these words, Thou art my beloved Son. Those words in his heart in the darkest hour, even when the Father forsakes him. He loves me. I know He loves me. And it's that love of the Father that prepares the Son for all that He must endure. Love. What's the essence of fatherhood? Matthew 3.17. Love. A love that identifies, delights in, speaks and prepares. This is my beloved Son. That's not only the voice of the Father from heaven to the Son. That's the voice of the Father to all His sons and daughters who have been adopted into His family by the Son, Jesus Christ. So that what Jesus heard at the Jordan all God's children hear in the gospel. 
Let's prove that from the Scriptures. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says that we are predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says we are accepted in the Beloved. That's Jesus. We are accepted in Jesus. Therefore, 1 John 3 verse 1 states, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. In 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, that's the word of the text, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Isn't that amazing? Of course the Father would say to the Son, the natural Son, the eternal Son, the sinless Son, Thou art my beloved Son. But it is amazing that we who by nature as the sons of Adam are Well, it's not saying it too strongly to say we are loathsome to God. There's nothing within us that's pleasing to God, but we are altogether displeasing to God as we are by nature that he should call us beloved and say, in thee am I well pleased. Well, you know the gospel, the heart of the gospel, that this Jesus who came out of the Jordan was baptized for us. That all of our guilt was imputed to him so that he was rendered before the law guilty and displeasing before the law with our sins. That he was punished (coughs) for our sins. That he obtained perfect righteousness for us. That he died, he rose again, he ascended up into heaven He poured out his Holy Spirit and he fills us with that Holy Spirit so that we begin to live in actual righteousness. Our God is so great that he abandoned his only begotten son on the cross in order to adopt us into his family as sons and daughters as the object of his love so that he can say to us, my beloved sons and daughters in whom I am well pleased. And because we are then the children of the Father, these four elements of love, they apply to us. In love, the Father publicly identifies us as his sons and daughters. There's no love for us coming out of the world. All of the voices that come out of the earth are are voices of hatred. The voice of the devil who contends with us and says, you think you're a child of God? Look at your life. Look inside of you at all of your inclinations and your thoughts and your desires. You're not a child of God. You're my servant. You belong to me. Or out of the earth come the voices of untoward men who revile the children of God and speak all manner of evil against them falsely and call them all kinds of nasty names, your vipers, your whores, your unbelievers, your children of Satan, your ungodly. And then there's the one voice from heaven, the voice of the gospel, which if you believe by faith, it will drown out all voices of hatred that come out of the earth. This one voice, these are my beloved sons and daughters, in whom I am well pleased for Jesus' sake. The Father identifies us as his children. Hebrews 11, verse 16, he is not ashamed to be called our 
God. Secondly, in love, the Father delights in us as his children. Though by nature we are displeasing to God, we're not our own. We belong to Christ. In Christ we have been accepted. In Christ we are clothed with the garments of salvation. In Christ all of our spots and impurities are purged away. Baptism symbolizes that. In Christ we have the the Spirit of Christ. By the power of holiness we begin to walk in a new and godly life over against the life of darkness lived by the enemies of God. We walk in a way that is pleasing to God. So that for Jesus' sake, God is pleased with us, his children. He delights in us. That's personal. That's a relationship. That's covenantal. My children, I delight in them. So that you ask the Father, what delights thee? This is the amazing testimony of the gospel. The Father says, my children do. I delight in my children. I am well pleased with my children as they are in Christ. It's a strange thing then, you know, that we would make so much of the words of others, the opinions, the displeasure of men. That a few cruel words from here or there or a look of disgust or displeasure or a little bit of gossip here and there, that it, would, that it would cut us to the quick, that it would affect us so deeply. It's a rather strange thing. In light of the Father's delight, what does it matter, really? What does it matter what anyone else says? Make the most important words of your life the words of the gospel that come from our Father. I delight in thee, my child. Embrace that by faith. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. This is amazing. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. God rejoices over his children with singing. What an amazing thing. For the children to hear. Third, in love, the Father speaks to us of His love. And there's nothing more important in the whole world for a child of God to hear than that God loves Him. And so that's the first thing we hear every Sunday when we come for worship. Order of worship, back of the bulletin, it's identified as salutation. The very first word of it is beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's first word to you, beloved. And then the whole preaching of the gospel where God declares his love in the sacrament. He declares his love. You read in the Bible some of the epistles. For example, the first epistle of John, how often do not new sections begin with this address? Dearly beloved, that's God's addressed to us. He speaks it. Dearly beloved. That's the preaching of the gospel. If all you ever hear in the gospel is how wretched and corrupt and defiled and depraved you are as sinners and nothing more, that's not the gospel. The gospel to wretched, depraved sinners 
is the declaration of God's love. Beloved sons and daughters for Jesus' sake. So God not only loves us and loves us eternally, but he keeps telling us. He speaks it through the gospel. Beloved. And then fourth, in love the Father prepares us. Every week we begin here in his house with that salutation, with the gospel, and often the sacraments where God says, I love you. And then you leave his house the first day of the week and you go, as it were, into the Monday through Saturday of the wilderness of this world. And there are all the adversities and temptations and fires and persecution and heart-rending afflictions and losses and tribulation for the children of God, including the struggle within against our own personal sin. Does anyone here have an easy life? No one does. No one has an easy life. The life of a child of God is a life of difficulty, and no one will continue. We will all give up and draw back unless you know the love of God for you. How could you go on doubting the Father's love? Have you ever experienced that? Times of doubt? When you are not firmly persuaded that the Father loves you, that's a very dark place to be. That's awful. That's crippling to the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life if you're not firmly persuaded that God loves you, He loves us. He does. And He declares it in the Gospel. And that love is meant to encourage us so that now we go forth in all the difficulties of wilderness life. We do so by the power of the knowledge of His love that prepares us. Father loves his children, for Jesus' sake. Father to Son, Jesus, this is my beloved Son. Father to sons and daughters in Jesus, these are my beloved sons and daughters. And now finally this morning, fathers, and by extension mothers too, so we'll say parents, to sons, and by extension, daughters, so we will say children, parents to children. Beholding God this morning and hearing the voice from heaven, we now see the perfect pattern of fatherhood. Here it is. And now the power in Jesus Christ to begin to live, not yet perfectly, to live, to strive to live according to that pattern. So, What's the essence of fatherhood and for us in our homes? Love. Four things. First, in love, we identify our children as ours. Not every child born into this world is ours. Not ours legally, not ours actually, not ours in the sense that we have responsibility for them in our home. But those of us who have children, whether biologically or by adoption, they are our children. 
They are not our children in the ultimate sense of the word. Of course, they are God's children. But God has entrusted them to us and to our care, and he gives us a responsibility over these children. It's very important that we publicly then identify our our children as our children. And the children need that affirmation. These are our children. They need that. This world is a very cruel place, and children can be mistreated and hurt and cast out. And maybe some of you have been experiencing that in this world. But even in the church, there can be difficult experiences in the church because the church is made up of people like me. And people like you, and we are all sinners, and sometimes our children are mistreated, and they are hurt, even in the church. And they may feel cast out, and they may have that experience where they feel cast out. You know, some say, we're not really sure how to say this to you, but do you have to be here? You're kind of different. Can't you find friends more like you? Why do you always have to sit next to us during lunch? There are other people more like you, rather different. How about you go over by them? Do you have to be with us? Well, that that makes a child feel really rotten, cast out. But God forbid a father or mother should say or do anything to make their child feel unwanted and cast out. A father or mother saying something to a child about which the, the child can't change their body type, their personality, wish you were different. Or just saying, you're fat. You are ugly, you are slow, and you are a stupid child. So father and mother as it were, they cast us out. They cast me out. God forbid. Your children must know that you identify them as their children. And they hear you say that. These are my children. Each one of them. I love them all to pieces. I will not abandon them, forsake them, deny them. These are my children. Our children. One Two, three, four. How many children do you have? Five, six, seven, eight, nine. You see all nine of these? They're mine. They're ours. God gave them to us. These are our children. And the whole world may know that. Ours and we love them. And that love comes to a very powerful expression when one goes wayward. He's disobedient. She forsakes the gospel. She's living like the devil. And in love, parents do not condone that behavior. They reprove that behavior. They call that wayward son to repentance and they pray for his repentance. But neither do they disown him. As if, as if a father and mother would have six children, one's wayward, 
gone. And someone meets them for the first time and says, how many children do you have? Well, we have five children. And somebody else who knows the family says, wait a minute, I, th- I, thought, I thought you had six children. Well, I, I guess technically we do, but not really. One, one is living like the devil. We have five children. No, you don't. You have six children. And we say about all of our children, these are my beloved children. With one of them, I'm not well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am not well pleased right now. And he knows that. But he's still my son. And I still love him. And I still desire he will be one to Christ. These are our children. A love that identifies. Now, boys and girls, don't make that difficult. Don't live like the devil. And don't be foolish and make foolish choices so that your parents had their, hang their heads in shame. Make it easy for your parents to say, these are my, these are our beloved children. Second, in love we delight in our children. We delight in them as the children of God, the children of the covenant, the children whom Christ loves. Would it not be a very, very sad thing if you asked a child, what do your parents delight in? And the child says, well, from my observations, watching mom and dad, and based how they use their time, what they do, what they say, I know they delight in vacationing. I know they delight in eating certain kinds of foods. I know they delight in their work and their hobbies and their interests. Often, I, I think they delight in watching television. I, I know they delight in helping out the Christian school. It's very obvious to me. I know they delight in helping out in the church family. They delight in many things. Do they delight in you? Sounds like they're busy, really busy. When they have free time, do they ever engage you? Are they always looking down? Do they ever show interest in you? Do they ever talk to you? Interact with and engage with you? How are you doing? Is there anything bothering you? What makes you happy these days? How's it going with your friends? So what did you guys talk about in Young People's Society? Talk to me about work. Do they express any interest in you? Wouldn't it be a very sad thing if a child said, No, I don't think they delight in me. Love. This is fatherhood. This is motherhood. Love. A love that delights in our children. Not simply as human beings, though human beings are fascinating, but as the children of God's covenant in whom is everlasting life. In whom I am well pleased. 
Third, in love we speak. There are two things that every child in the covenant ought to know. Number one, God loves me. And number two, my parents love me. How do you know? The Bible tells me so. God loves me. How do you know your dad loves you? He tells me. He says, son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. How do you know your mother loves you? I hear it. She tells me, I love you. Thou art my beloved son. Fourth, and finally, in love we prepare them. That is, God, for Jesus' sake, nurtures them in a home of love and then prepares them for the future, prepares them to work and to labor, to be sincerely willing and ready. They know our love, more they'll be willing and ready to work. And when they grow older and they leave, they go to college, they, they go to, into the workplace, they leave our homes, they face the temptations of Satan, God will give them strength to stand as they know His love that's reflected through us, a love that prepares and if there's any child of the covenant who does not know the love of a father or mother, then our hearts go out to you. But remember too, God says when father or mother forsake you, I will take you up. And knowledge of that love prepares. Matthew 3 verse 17 this morning. This is fatherhood. The essence of it is love. Here's the pattern. It's as high as the heavens are above the earth. How are you measuring up? And how am I? Oh, we, we've fallen short, haven't we? God be thanked for the, the reality of baptism and for His love that brings us to repentance, a love that forgives us, a love that cleanses us, a love that empowers us to strive to be more faithful. God be thanked for these words. We all need them. Thou art my beloved sons and daughters in whom I am well pleased for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for that voice from heaven. We were not there to hear it. John was, Jesus was, perhaps some of the Jews. But it's been written down by Thy servant Matthew and others too. We can read it, we believe it, and we know we hear those words in the Holy Gospel. We are forever grateful to Thee. So thanks, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.